Hi, I'm Nicole Alcoholic. Hi, Nicole. I'm situated. I'm up here for about five hours, they told me. <laughs> so, because um, Tim Aris is here, I'll do my countdown. I have 23 days, one month, and 11 years. I have a sobriety date of May 24th, 2011. This is very close to me. Um, welcome to Holly, uh, Haley, and Chelsea. I don't know if you're here, but welcome. Um, what can I say about Alcoholics Anonymous? They just blow everyone out of the water. Um, you know, Alcoholics Anonymous every single day takes my breath away. And it's not just the mere fact that I haven't had a CP poo of alcohol in uh, a little over 11 years. It's kind of just of the fact that I haven't had road rage in a very long time. I haven't. Uh, piss someone off in a couple days, <laughs> um, you know, um, you know, but the, the biggest gift that I have received from Alcoholics Anonymous is, and I'll get into the perks of AA, but of a clear mind and a clear conscious, my family trusts me. Um, I trust myself and um, I can go to bed at night knowing that I, have done my best for that day. And if I haven't cleared up my side of the street that entirely that day, I will make it fully clean the next day. And uh, there's a lot of normal people out there that need the program, um, but I'm not one to let them know of that. They can figure that out on their own. Um, so if you're new or semi-new or if you're a repeat offender, I don't know how to stand here either. So, and, um, but whatever. Um, you know, if you're a repeat offender, or if you've, uh, if it's your first time in the program, you know, give it a shot. And uh, I, I, it's not, it's not going to be a bed of roses and flowers and ahs every single day. You know, it's, it's nothing like that. Life, life gets lifey. The IRS wants their money. Um, you know, the employer doesn't want you to steal money from them, like per huge. Um, the banks don't want you to with you know, overdraft, overdraft fees and stuff like that. You know, the cops really want you to register your vehicle still. So life will get very lifey in Alcoholics Anonymous. And, uh, um, but uh, I've also never been to this meeting. And Tom, thank you so much for asking me. Uh, I only live like eight minutes from here. So I have no excuse to not come here anymore. Um, but, um, I have had copious amounts of coffee. So my left leg is shaking and my right eye is twitching. Um, so I have no idea what I'm gonna say or what I'm gonna do. Uh, I've also, you know, I've, uh, in the 11 years, I've made a conscious contact with the higher power and we said a little prayer in the car together. And, uh, you know, I used to rehearse these things and no one was there because I would do it in the privacy of my home. And then when I would go in public and do it, I would spew anything out that I practiced. So I just stopped. Um, so we're all in for a surprise of what I'm going to share about. I have no idea what I'm going to say. And uh, I am sorry for anything that I say that I might offend you. Um, Tom did say this is an open podium, an open floor. I don't want to offend anyone, but I did not do drugs. I only drank alcohol. So I know I'm so sorry. Um, I probably did pot maybe five times 
again, I'm sorry to disappoint everyone. I did not like it. Um, alcohol was just easy breezy. I wasn't having to like do weird things and just walk down to the liquor store and spend an arm and a leg on a couple cases of alcohol beverages and uh, go and hide in my, the privacy of my own closet and drink. Um, and then I just put one out the night, the, uh, the night before or just, just kept it there, you know, and then I'd have it the next morning. I didn't have to like text my drug dealer, you know, where are you? Um, but anyway, props to people, props to those that did have to do that. That sounds very, very tedious that I was way too lazy to do. <laughs> um, I, uh, I went down to San Diego this weekend. We do have fun in Alcoholics Anonymous. I do want to assure you of that. You're not doomed to a miserable, boring life. Um, like I thought. <laughs> uh, we have a lot of fun in Alcoholics Anonymous. I was in uh, San Diego this weekend and it was Pride weekend. So I went down there to represent my people. And I went to a couple nightclubs and uh, so weird, there's normal people at clubs and I never thought that was the case. And uh, also <laughs> alcohol is really expensive at bars when, you have, when you're fully aware of what you're spending. It is very expensive. Um, some of you are nodding your heads. You probably recognize the inflation of <laughs> the prices of alcohol. If you're newer, you might know that. And uh, buying, uh, someone a drink and uh, she got some like stupid vodka tonic or whatever they're called. It was like $12. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> now, when I was drinking, I could care less what uh, a drink cost. But um, as my drinking progressed, I went from the top shelf beverages all the way to the bottom. And now they're the ones that like at Rite Aid where you have to like scramble on your hands and knees to find and they're building up dust. That's where my drinking led to. Um, you know, um, but well, enough about you guys. Now it's time to talk about me. Um, I, uh, so um, I was actually born in Russia and uh, was born in uh, 1985. Yes, I'm 36 years old. I know everyone's surprised. Um, and uh, and uh, so Russia, well, no one likes Russia anymore, especially now, you know, and uh, you know, and uh, it's, um, so I was put up for adoption in an orphanage quite quickly, very quickly from when my birth mom had me. She was 16 years old and um, the dad was kind of, as my adoptive mom would put, a man passing through town. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> very nice way of putting it. Um, so no one knows who he is. And uh, so I was put up for adoption. I was in a Russian, three different Russian orphanages until I was the age of eight. So I was very late getting adopted, um, you know, and uh, that does not make me an alcoholic. It does not make me an alcoholic one bit, but um, I can't hold my vodka very well. And, uh, you know, so those, those were some perks up when I was drinking out there. Um, Russian orphanages are, um, I would highly advise you to refrain from looking them up, um, but advisory, just be very cautious of what you see. Um, uh, as Tom gave me permission, they fucking suck. Like they gave, he gave me permission to cuss up here, so. Um, they're not fun. Like I have a lot of trauma. I've do, been doing a lot of EMDR work with them through that. And um, 
not that I've taken the wind out of the sails of everyone here, um, you know, they're, they're gnarly. It's, uh, it's bad. And I was there at a very pivotal time during the KGB takedown. And, uh, in, uh, and then I was picked up and brought to America in 1993 at a very pivotal time in Russia. And uh, I was um, saved by a successful single mom out here in uh, San Diego. And uh, she did her very best with the devices that she was given. There was a massive language barrier, um, very extreme massive uh, language barrier. I was very malnourished, um, didn't eat anything. And I was very defiant. And I was actually just talking to a gal this morning um, uh, well, no, we won't go into it, but, you know, like, uh, anyways, um, so my mom did a, her very best with the devices that she was given to raise someone who was eight years old, fresh out of Russia and could not speak a lick of English. Um, she was very, uh, heavy in her career at the time that she adopted me. So for the first, uh, six months I was in America, I did a lot of traveling with her. Uh, and that's where I just picked up English very quickly. I was still a sponge of learning different languages. So I just kind of like adapted survival mode of figuring out how to speak to you guys. Um, and I was raised in, well, I am a single, uh, single child. I was raised in a very militant home. My mom was very business oriented. So everything was business mannered like and very professional and uh, no hugs, love yous, boo -boo 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 -doos, and feelings, emotions, tears. Uh, it was like the obligatory of uh, I love yous, you know, kind of a thing. No good time, no uh, nighty night stories or tuck-ins, just kind of like, yeah, figure it out, you know? <laughs> uh, you know, so while I was in a very, uh, big home with a very prestigious mom. It was still very closed off and uh, sheltered from that. And uh, I, I was raised in a household where uh, money was just thrown at me just to like solve any issues that I had. Um, you know, my obsession of things was very clear early on. I remember I uh, I wanted this like really cool bike, you know, like basket on it and it was pink and white and pink wheels, which was super cute at the time. And now um, it was out of stock, which can understand why. And I was so defiant. I wanted this bike. And uh, that's where my alcoholism I really showed up is that like I had this obsession and I needed it. I needed it. I needed it. Once I got it, my obsession turned to something else. And once I received that, so on and so forth, you know, we all, I'm sure we can all experience that. And uh, so there were like early signs of, alcoholism and addiction in my early early childhood. But um, I was a late bloomer. Uh, I didn't start drinking until I was however old you are, freshman in high school. I don't know how old people are. Um, so I was a very late bloomer. And it was just like a sip of alcohol at a wedding. Didn't, you know, I, after my first drink, I didn't end up on the skid row streets under the bridge drinking out of a paper brown bag. That was certainly not me. Went home, went to bed, woke up, everything was fine, took a shower, went to school, blah, blah, blah. And um, it was great. Um, you know, I did, then uh, as uh, life progressed, I progressed. And I remember, you know, 
I didn't get like the uh, the manual to life. Um, I don't know if some of you got that. Uh, you know, where it was like in high school or junior high school or grade school, you know, you'd go out to the playground and it seemed like everyone knew what to do on the playground. Like, hey, let me see you're my friends. And, you know, I was kind of just like the Eeyore in the playground. And, uh, you know, it wasn't really fun and no one knew what Russia was. And in grade school, no one knows what a other country is other than the state they live in, you know? And uh, so I was the Eeyore in the playground. No one liked me because I was like the foreign alien who couldn't speak English, you know? So uh, I kind of just like stood there by myself and, uh, and that kind of just became a pattern in my life, which was kind of crappy. Um, you know, but, uh, you know, and as I progressed through high school and stuff like that, I was in athletics in high school and thank God for that. Cause I, I, I do believe, do firmly believe that my addiction would have progressed a lot faster had I not had coaches and college re colleges recruiting me for athleticism. And, um, you know, I, uh, I, <laughs> I did get suspended from high school for drinking. Um, they found me, um, well, I blocked out. <laughs> you know, they don't really look kindly upon that. So I was uh, I was very offended that they caught me. And uh, my mom was very mad that they caught me. And I was uh, suspended. And my mom could not face me. So she sent me to my aunt and uncle's house. I live in LA and like, while she thought that I was getting punished and yelled at and berated, they just made me cookies every night. And that <laughs> felt really bad for me. Uh, you know, uh, that uncle um, went later on to send my mom an email telling her that um, I need to figure out my life after I left treatment, after I discharged from treatment. He emailed my mom. We'll get into that later. But, um, you know, my drinking, I didn't have like a really low bottom. I do understand that there's a trap door to everyone's bottom and I'm fully aware of that. And, uh, but you know, the worst thing that happened to me is that I got fired from a job. I, uh, I was, uh, I was working as an administrator at a university out in New York city. And uh, I was fraternizing with the students <laughs> at the student bar and uh, well, apparently that's really frowned upon. And, um, you know, they really don't like administrators drinking with students. And while I was only like three years older than them, um, they really don't look up, they really don't like that. So I was um, asked to resign from my position immediate, effective immediately. Uh, and that was it, that was it. That was the consequences to my drinking. And of course, like we all have, if you've ever been terminated from a job for drinking, we all had that amazing story of like, we've, well, I've never drank before. This is the first time this has ever happened to me. And, um, you know, they're like, we know about all your drinking escapades. So, it's like, um, you know, but rewind a little bit. I don't want to get too far ahead. Um, I, I had a lot of fun drinking. I had a lot of fun. Uh, after school, so I went to school up north and I was a D1 scholarship athlete and uh, they had like uh, um, sober, uh, whatever, dry seasons, whatever they're called. And, um, you know, and I didn't drink. I didn't drink during those times and because I, I had to sustain 
some form of competitiveness to uh, maintain my scholarship. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I'm not an alcoholic. And I remember we had a meeting at uh, one of the years, administrations, we had a meeting and some gal, she's like, you mean I can't drink with my boyfriend on Valentine's Day? They're like, well, you're an alcoholic if you're even thinking that. Yeah, Ruthie. (laughs) And, uh, you know, and I just, that I didn't have a problem. And uh, while after, towards the end, I I could not do six months of dry season. It was very hard. So at the five months, I did start drinking again. Um, And I would sneak drinks in as my roommates were falling asleep. And, uh, you know, I don't have a gnarly story. I don't have anything where I'm jumping out of helicopters in a blackout or living under bridges or um i never went to skid row i have volunteered at skid row many times um i've driven through it a couple times as well uh you know but i have uh i was at a saturday night speaker a couple a couple months ago and the guy put it in the best best way he could i could ever have heard it he said whether you're living behind a white picket fence or a jail cell we're all miserable and i was miserable and if you're coming from yale or jail and you're not and you're an alcoholic, you know the exact misery they were going through. And, you know, towards the end of my drinking, I remember when I crossed that invincible line, I was, like I said, I was living in New York City, and um, I decided to deliberately pick a place where I was going to live that had 20 bars in a half mile radius. I was living in an Irish town, and uh, and I was like, that night, I was like, I'm just going to move in here. And I gave the guy a bunch of money just to live there. And uh, that accelerated my drinking very quickly. And I remember I'd leave work, cross over the subway, I'd get a drink, and then drink that, chug that on the ride to the subway up to where I was living, and then just stop at every bar uh, on the way home to, and then pass up, black out, you know, then wake up to do it all over again the next day. And uh, I remember when I crossed that invincible line and I would deliberately start taking alternative routes, longer routes to avoid as many bars as I could while and then somehow 11 p.m. I would find myself sitting at a bar wondering how it happened again and I would have that miser- miserable night, wake up, go to work. Um, my office was conveniently right next to the call university bar, um, which was really nice placement. And... Um, you know, I would start to sneak drinks in my lunch breaks and come back to my computer. And uh, I was uh, I was a recruiter for athletics at a D1 university. And so I was having to talk to a lot of parents and administrators. And uh, I was also getting complaints that my emails were not making cohesive. <laughs> we're not cohesive enough. And I had offered a scholarship to someone that was actually we were not supposed to offer a scholarship to. And the NCQA, NLAs, and all of that—they really don't—they really don't like when you offer an NLA to someone who's not supposed to get it. National letter of intent is what that it means, NLI. And um, so I made a couple minor, big, very catastrophic mistakes by that, and the parents weren't happy. And if you're an athlete and you you don't get accepted into university, even though you know you should be, or if you're not a good athlete and you receive a full scholarship um, with uh, uh, verbiage and vocabulary that doesn't really 
<laughs> less than professional, if you were. Uh, anyways, I made a couple errors there. Um, so, um, you know, my drinking rapidly picked up and uh, it's, uh, I think it was Kat that was saying it. You said it perfectly, is that like, I'm sitting in the back seat and I'm held, being held hostage by alcohol and there's no one that's going to stop it. If I'm kicking and screaming, the only thing I could do is, is uh, open the door and jump out. And uh, that was like, said it so well. And I was like, just held hostage by um, alcohol, you know? And I had no idea until I was so deep into it. And, uh, you know, after I was kindly asked to resign from the university, uh, my best thinking uh, was, well, <laughs> um, was to move to London. And uh, I started to uh, apply for jobs over there, but, um, I was in such a small career that I, my name was pretty much had a permanent marker through it immediately after I walked out of that university. So I was never able to return back to that career, um, which is probably for the best because it was heavily induced with alcohol. Um, you know, I did, so I didn't have a low bottom, but I'm sure, and I trust we could all relate to, I was mentally and emotionally just completely depleted. I was just done, I was done. And, uh, you know, my best decision was to either, uh, was just to do a geographic like we all do. So I decided I would move to another country, but I didn't have a passport. And uh, so I was so easy to do that. Uh, you know, I'm really lazy <laughs> and I, I didn't want to do that. So uh, in that time, I had a roommate that uh, had secretly emailed my mom and said, hey, Nicole has been terminated, has been kindly asked to resign from her position. She was not fired, um, like I told my mom. And that Erica, my roommate, was terrified of me. She had no idea what I was capable of doing while under the influence, like most of us are not. We do not know what we're capable of. And um, and my mom was out. She lives in San Diego and she was on the next flight out to New York City. And uh, unbeknownst to me, my last drink was uh, some like Coors Light or something at a restaurant. I thought I'd treat myself, you know, uh, get a cold Coors Light. Um, you know, and that was, that was my last drunk. And uh, you know, I, was, I didn't realize what my mom was doing out there visiting me in New York until two days in uh, into her vacation, uh, as she called it. And I said, you don't have a, I was like, You're, you don't have a uh, round trip ticket, do you? She was like, no, I'm not going home empty handed. And uh, unbeknownst to me, there was a whole uh, choreography or something like that going on behind the scenes where my cousin was looking for treatment centers and they were running my insurance and stuff like that. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I got that, I got that gift. I got that gift of, um, of going to treatment and, uh, it was a gift that now looking back on it many years later was, I, if I hadn't taken it, I know it would be dead. You know, and uh, if you are a product of treatment, I applaud you. Uh, I don't care if you are, that's cool. I am. Many people look down on that. And if you are slowly, slowly getting sober from AA, I applaud you for that immensely. Um, so anyways, after my mom gave me the gift of going to treatment and rebooting my life, I um, 
kindly declined. I was like, I'm okay. Uh, so she hung out with me and slept in one of the spare bedrooms in my uh, place. And uh, so we went around New York and um, then they attempted again and they did another intervention on me. And of course, if you've ever been intervened on, everyone's crying, there's letters. And they did it like at 1 a.m. in the morning. We went to a nice play and I didn't drink. So like, oosh. And they came, we came home and the intervention happened at 1 a.m. Um, and I had that moment of clarity, those seconds and inches that we talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous, I had that moment of clarity. I was uh, the, uh, not a really appropriate manner, but uh, I, was in, I was in the bathroom. And, uh, and I had a moment that instantaneously had changed my life. And, um, you know, I came out of the bathroom begrudgingly telling my mom that I will go to treatment, uh, like some snob that like I deserved better than what I was being offered. And, uh, you know, I was, uh, my savings was depleting pretty fast. I didn't have much and my insurance was gonna cut out. So, um, you know, uh, treatment didn't take my insurance, but, and, um, so my mom paid flat out cash, you know, to save my life. And uh, I remember the night before we went for the night before we left and uh, I was, I heard some crying going on down the hall and I'd never seen my mom uh, before or after. I've never seen my mom cry until that moment, except for one funeral that we had to go to for her sisters. And um what I could make out was that she was kneeling on her the bedside praying. What I make up was praying. I don't know what else you're doing on your knees on that side of the bed, you know, looking for shoes or whatnot. But um, I believe that she was praying for me and whatnot. And I just heard sobbing. And, um, you know, and if that was the moment, if there's any moment that kind of put some form of like reality for me, was seeing my mom and desperately hoping that I would get the take this offered gift of recovery and uh so I did uh we were on a, a next flight out to Orange County very fast um you know and I kicked and screamed through treatment the entire way um I got someone fired which I'm well I was very proud of it at the moment I'm not proud of it anymore but um you know I was in treatment for 96 days and I left I did the uh sober living shuffle on the outpatient those levels of care uh, shuffle for about a year and a half and um, my mom would come and visit me she was living in Arizona at the time and uh, she was doing work out there and she would and I went to treatment in Orange County and she would fly out every single weekend to do family session with me and I thought how dare you <laughs> you know and uh, I remember one time she didn't show up because there was an emergency at work and I was just beside myself and I thought my best decision was to give her the silent treatment when she called to apologize that she couldn't show up. And that lady went, that's three months in treatment. She came out every single weekend from Arizona uh, to do family sessions. So if anything, if, if there's anything to know, my mom loves me a fucking death, you know, and she was willing to pay any price tag to save my life. And, um, you know, so if you're a product of treatment and your parents dished up some pretty fancy pennies for you to, get sober if there's any reason you're going to stay sober for me that's what helped me stay sober for a very long time that's how I found that higher power and um 
you know, I needed that reboot. They, they taught me how to make my bed every morning and like get my knees and pray and meditate and get, a, get into a routine and uh, do the whole shuffle thing. And then I wasn't really, they were taking me to meetings and I got introduced to Alcoholics Anonymous, which was by far the best gift that I've ever received. And uh, I remember I got my own place. I'm like, oh, finally, I can get my own place and stuff like that. And I was finally got it all arranged and situated. And I was sitting on the couch watching TV. And it finally dawned on me that AA truck just slammed and all the fears and anxiety and the anticipation that I had just hit me like a ton of bricks. And um, I didn't have any counselor holding me accountable. I wasn't being told when to wake up, shit, piss, breathe do whatever we were doing and um and at a year and a half at a year and a half sober oh wow at a year and a half sober is when uh, I finally made a connection with my higher power and I finally figured out and thank god for treatment that I had um the uh regimen schedule of going to the treatment uh meetings um didn't realize I only had 10 more minutes holy shit <laughs> you get now that I'm getting sober um Sorry. Um, you know, I've received a lot of great gifts in recovery. Um, you know, and like I've talked, like I said earlier, the best gift uh, thus far is um, going to bed at night knowing that I think I've done my best for the day. If not, I try to do better the next day than I did the day before. And, uh, you know, the gifts just, Alcoholics Anonymous is just a gift that keeps on giving. And like I was saying earlier, um, it's not going to be a bed of roses. I've been through heartbreaks. I've uh, lost job. I've lost one job in recovery. And uh, I've been through very painful moments. And kind of like what Kat had shared is that like, uh, kind of like at, at a, there were times during COVID where I was just sitting on my hands and knees trying to figure out what I was going to do next. And, uh, and I was talking to a gentleman during break and it was like, my sponsor had taught me how to perform in recovery on the, my best days and my worst days, but no one had, had given me this resources of how to deal with my own mind for a couple hours, more or less a couple of weeks being locked in during COVID. And that is a bad neighborhood to be in. And my head is very bad alley to hang out in. And, um, you know, and my grand sponsor, and I remember I went to my grand sponsor just pleading to how to get over something and really have an obsession relieved. And she put it in the most gentle and kindness ways. And she's like, you can't go around, you can't go over, you have to go through it. And that was the most painful thing I'd heard. And I just had to go through the pain and the misery and the struggles of, you know, whatever I was going through. And, um, you know, nowadays life is different. You know, during COVID, I have rebooted my recovery. I have rebooted my higher power, which I now um, fully aware is God. And uh, you know, and um, great, great, great gifts uh, are still coming. Um, I've been at the same company for six years, which is very nice. They trust me with my, their money and their finances. I also started a little business on the side. Uh, thanks to recovery. And then, uh, you know, I, I bought a house this year, um, you know, and I, and the, but the best thing is that my family and my friends and I trust myself and, um, you know, I have a higher power that just keeps on giving, you know, and if, if you're new, if you're, if you're in your first 30 days or maybe even your last 30 days, which is very possible, 
you know, and the one thing that I was very deprived of early in recovery is connected to my higher power. And that is something that I credit my recovery and all the gifts in recovery to um, is the works of my higher power. And, and, you know, that's kind of changed over the years. It's been like the water and the ocean and some trees and, you know, what have you. And, uh, and now it's just, it is God. And uh, when I hit my knees in the morning and I ask God to help me walk through the day. And then at night I hit my knees and I thank God for walking me through the, an easy or hard day and everything that's in between. And, uh, you know, if, if there's anything that I could give advice to anyone in this room and um, build, get a couple of close friends, um, never make your sponsor your higher power ever. Don't ever make a human a higher power um because if they can't pick up if they don't pick up that phone call and it just on your darkest hours you better hope you have a higher power you can connect with and i wish and i and i had to learn that a very hard way um find a couple great friends that are going to be the pillars of your recovery and pick you up on your lowest days um i have a, some very close ones with me they've picked me off the ground and kicking and screaming and just hating everything about life um you know and i've had friends that were there to celebrate with me and my biggest accomplishments thus far and uh, you know uh, i'm gonna stop before i continue rambling <laughs> i don't know how much more time i have what like four more minutes okay fine. but anyways uh tom thanks for asking me to speak and uh thanks so much <laughs>